Are you brave enough to face your darkest nightmares? Are you prepared to experience a new dimension of terror? If so, then test your fate in Reaper's Revenge, Haunted Hayride, and Attractions. Reaper's Revenge, the ultimate Halloween adventure, featuring over 90 minutes of nonstop immersive horror. Open weekends, Friday, September 24th, till Halloween night, Sunday, October 31st. Visit reapersrevenge.com for more information. Test your fate at Reaper's Revenge. Spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers, hear the creepy side of Nipa. Welcome to the creepy side of Nipa. Sponsored by Reaper's Revenge Haunted Attractions. I am Dan Kozlowski. And I'm Nora Herchick. Joining us tonight on the creepy side of NEPA is Charles J. Adams III, author of numerous books pertaining to the paranormal. Charles, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here. Sort of, kind of, not there. I mean, you're there and I'm here, but you know. <laughs> exactly. Great well, be, Great to be with you. <laughs> In a metaphor- metaphorical sense. Yes, yes, you got it. With right. the magic of technology. Yes, yeah. Which I get sick of sometimes, I tell you. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right. Looking, anyway. Looking at your long list of books, it looks like you cover a vast area of ghost and paranormal, covering New Jersey, Pennsylvania, some of New York. Yeah, I uh, did New York City ghost stories uh, and the Jersey Shore, up and down the Jersey Shore, and then uh, as far west as Pittsburgh and um, around my home area, Reading and Berks County and Lehigh, and Lancaster, and Chester, and Berks, and Philadelphia. And then I, I went that daring and went up to Nipa, which wasn't called Nipa, wasn't called Nipa there. I would have had a cool book, Creepy Nipa. would have been great, but no. So I took a chance, and, you know, I knew very, comparatively, very little about uh, your section of state, but I was always fascinated by it uh, for reasons other than ghosts, for the, uh, you know, the it's a gritty place, you know, and a lot of small... Uh, large towns and small cities and then Scranton as a nexus of all of it. And I, I kept hearing legends and stories about that because I had uh, old Navy buddies who lived up in the, that area. <clears throat> so I decided to uh, go up there and start knocking on doors and uh, going to research uh, in libraries and wherever. And and uh, the floodgates, I shouldn't say this in Wilkes-Barre, but the floodgates opened up uh, you know, with the legends, folklore, and ghost stories in what's now called NEPA. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. When we started this podcast about two years ago now, a little over two years ago, we sort of thought it would be like maybe five episodes, that would probably be it, maybe get a couple stories off for Halloween. But we've been going on two years now, and th- we didn't find any shortage of stories out there, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that's uh, it speaks well for the people up there, the, the people of your section of our state, and really where I am too. We're, we're kind of proud of where we are and what we've done. And where our area and the people of our area have been in the past. And uh, I live in, in the Pennsylvania Dutch country. And, of course, that's loaded with folklore and tales of powwowing and, and ghost stories, of course. So it's, there's no brainer uh, down here. And I found up there, it was a no-brainer up there. I mean, I go into some of these um, restaurants and things, and I walk in. I had a business card. I introduced myself sheepishly. Hi. My name is Charles. I'm writing a book on ghost stories of, uh, you know, of your area. 
Do you know any? Expecting you to, no, get out of here. In other words, uh, but uh, it was not that at all. Uh, I would say probably 70% of the time, well, nothing here, but my cousin works in a place, you know, and I just, all of a sudden, the floodgates, like I said, opened, and the ghost stories came tumbling out. And on top of that, I, I did my, uh, you know, my grunt research at libraries, historical societies, and found the old legends, the enduring legends, and what I call the they say stories. They say that Tuscan Road, Tuscan Road is, is haunted. Now, by who? You know, by whom? Uh, they, they say that the, the death chair down near Eckley. Ooh, if you sit on that, you die. Really? But, so I, I kind of filtered those out, but used them because if I didn't use those stories in the book, people would say, well, it's an interesting book, but you never talked about this or never talked about that. So I had to include the they say stories in my legends section of the book, you know, so it was a lot of fun up, up there in Nipa and, uh, <laughs> and also, also the casino I've opened at the precise time I was doing my, re- my research. That helped too. <laughs> Something fun to do. <laughs> but I had some nice book signings up there uh, in the, the mall. Uh, I guess the borders of Barnes and Noble, which, which, which one it was, but, uh, and I really grew, grew endeared to your, your area. So how did you get started looking into the paranormal? Has it always been an interest of yours, or what kind of sparked that? Well, I guess it was, uh, because, again, growing up where I grew up uh, and and still live, we have uh, sort of a matter-of-fact attitude about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, powwowing, hexerai, hex signs, uh, curses, ghost stories. Yeah, so what? That's part of what we are all about here. So I sort of took that all for granted. The stories that were told by my grandmother, and it was never anything that uh, particularly uh, frightened me or sparked any kind of, you know, interest. Really, it was just part of my culture that I grew up in. But then, as I grew older and uh, started to realize there's, and I started reading uh, other people's ghost books uh, from other countries and regions, and I, I started to get interested in. Maybe I was in high school but had nowhere to go with it. And actually what happened, um, I was in the Navy and, uh, on an aircraft carrier and I actually experienced something on the carrier that made me wonder about something. And I, I, I felt something, I heard something, I smelled something as if I was in the middle of a, of a world war two incident on that world war two vintage aircraft carrier. Now I was there in the sixties, but so it was 20 some years after world war two but I felt and smelled like oil and grease and smoke. And I, I heard rumblings and crashing sounds, muffled crashing sounds, while I was on a midnight watch on this aircraft carrier. And it was very quiet anywhere else in the carrier. But I heard this. And I wondered about that. That's weird. I reported it. What's going on? And where? What am I hearing? And they said, there's nothing going on. We're back to sleep or whatever. You know, they just kind of had, they made fun of me, really my superiors and uh i so the next morning though like an idiot at uh, uh morning uh, whatever they call it muster uh anything happened overnight adams uh well you know i heard and smelled and and my lieutenant said really i said yes sir i thought here we go section eight i'm out of the navy now because i'm a looney tunes you know <laughs> conversely he walked me down to the chaplain's office of all places and had me tell the story to the chaplain who closed the door and made me promise I would never tell what he was about to tell me. 
at least on, on the ship. He had had several reports of the same thing happening at the same exact place that happened to me over the years before I had my experience. Turned out it was a precise spot where kamikaze Japanese plane struck that carrier in World War II and drilled into the flight deck and the hangar deck and 21 men were killed. And I, he's a Catholic, full bird Catholic cha- chaplain. I said, well, sir, uh, what do you think I experienced? He said, I can't say it because I'm a Catholic priest or chaplain. Right. But you may have experienced something of the supernatural. I said, okay, sir, thank you very much. The next place we went, within two weeks, we're in, uh, uh, if I'm boring, you just let me know, I'll shut up. No, no, you're perfectly in, fine. It's very uh, interesting, don't actually. Forget, don't, forget, don't forget, I was in radio, so I can't tend to talk. <laughs> but but then we were in Portsmouth, England. That was our first uh, port. And instead of going to get a new tattoo or a tattoo, I don't have any at all, but instead of getting a tattoo or getting half drunk or full drunk or going to find a lady, I went to Charles Dickens' house. Now, how boring am I, huh? But I wanted to say, I, I love Charles Dickens' writing. And, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> for the uh, first time in many years, they had uh, on display uh, a Christmas carol, you know, the, the famous story. And for the first time in my life, I realized the subtitle of that is A Ghost Story for Christmas. Well, how about that? And then I started talking to the director of the uh, Dickens house. And he, he told me about how Dickens self-published. And he actually made more money telling stories than he did writing stories in his life. Because he loved to go out and tell stories to large audiences. And he um, he just took the best and the worst from existing ghost stories and prevailing legends and incorporated them, weaved them through his, his writing. And uh, I thought that's pretty darn cool. And that really sparked my uh, interest in doing exactly what he did, but obviously on a much lesser level. But, you know, uh, I just spoke yesterday at the governor Pennypacker house down near in Schwenksville, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, governor Pennypacker collected ghost stories in his area around the Perkyoman Valley, it's called, between the, the roughly Pottstown and Philadelphia. And he collected ghost stories back in the uh, uh, early 19, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, which helped me researching my books down there. But when I told the stories yesterday on the porch of his mansion, uh, I had just come from the John Updike house dedication. I'm on the board there, and he's a famous uh, Pennsylvania author. And I just came from that. I was very literarily minded, you know, yesterday when I, before I went to tell my ghost stories. So I got down down there, and then I told the people about how my first inkling of ghost stories was with Charles Dickens at, the, at his house in Portsmouth, England, and how um, my idol, one of my idols, is W.B. Yeats, who uh, an Irish author who collected ghost stories and put them in a book called The Celtic Twilight, which is an incredible book in the turn of the 20th century. And um, Governor Pennypacker and W.B. Yeats, Charles Dickens, and I am now standing on the shoulder of those giants doing what they did, not anywhere near in the level they did it, but at least preserving those stories and presenting those stories to eager, eager readers. And then as I proceeded to do down there yesterday, and we'll be doing every day just about in October, telling ghost stories to eager ears and imaginations. I'll shut up now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Have you noticed any patterns with the paranormal stories or experiences that people have told you about? Like, what do you think sort of triggers a place or, you know, something like that to be more or less active with things like this? I have taught myself to, and I adhere to uh, my practice of really doing some research on it. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier the they say stories. I get so many of those. You know, I, I think my house is haunted because they, they say that a girl died in the bedroom up there. And I think I hear crying sounds. Well, good. I got to prove that a girl died in that bedroom or the story ain't worth nothing to me. You know, right. Uh, I, I'm old school and I'll freely admit that. And I wear it on my sleeve and I'm proud of it. I, I cringe sometimes even at the word paranormal. You know, just, I understand that beyond the norm. I get it. It's become abused, I think, over the last uh, couple decades, really. I don't, I have used every one of those, you know, ghost boxes, voice EVPs. I've done all that crazy stuff and I've done it willingly and happily and sometimes successfully, but I don't need that. I don't want that. I want what's coming out of someone's imagination and I want to put it in someone else's imagination. I want, and I want to back it all up with facts, not beeps on a machine or barely discernible grunts you know that are supposedly indicative of a haunting no i I want i want real people's stories to be told to real people and i've had you know i don't want to sound don't i don't want to sound like i'm a a, a paranormal snob but (laughs) you know i was there a long time before all this stuff and i'm watching it all play out and i've done the shows i've done you know the ghost hunters ghost adventures and any number of shows on uh, here in, in Ireland and South Africa, Japan. And I know what it takes to put together some of these shows. And it's one of those shows that I, and you got to admit too, right before they go to commercial break, it's, Oh my God. And then they break yep. for commercial. Yep. Be sure to like WNAP's creepy side of Nipa on Facebook. That's the best way to receive the latest show information. And then they come back from the commercials and nothing. Um, yep, they try to keep you there to come right back yeah. to the show. Yeah, they don't yeah, want the ratings to drop. Yep, exactly right. It's all bait, and uh, I, I just abhor that. I, I understand why, and I willingly participated in it, but um, it was a phase to me, and it's it's gone now. Yesterday, when I, I I've gotten a lot of offers to do, uh, I did. A, I'm doing a Facebook Live. Uh, for my local library, and that's going to be fine. But they've, I've gotten a lot of, we'd like you to do a virtual. But no, I don't want to do virtual. I want to see eyeballs. I want to see what they're looking at when they see me. I want to see right. them eyes get wider and wider. And then I want to pull a trigger and, <laughs> and scare them. That's what I want to do, old school. I want to do what Dickens did. I want to do what Poe did, you know. I don't want to do what... Uh, you know, some blogger does. And I mean, nothing against what you're doing, what you're doing here. When you said, and I detected that when we, we uh, emailed back and forth, you want to hear stories and you're, you're willing to uh, go beyond how many orbs did you get last night? Yep. Exactly. In the past, most of our episodes are based in history. We talked a lot of local historical societies. They talk about their ghost walks, some stories they see on their ghost walks, but we do also have ghost investigators come in, talk about their experiences oh, sure. yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And trust me, I am not, I'm trying not to make fun of them or, or oh, yeah. to mean what they do. It's just that I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I'm, I'm folding my arms saying, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, but it's not my style. Looking at your long list of books that you published all across the area, and there's a few that you published in the Poconos, and also I have one in front of me, Luzerne and Lackawanna County Ghost right. uh, Legends and Lore. Right. What are yeah, some that, of the stories that sort of stick in your mind from those books throughout our area? Well, I'll tell you, you know, one in particular because of the the, the building itself, the teller of the tale, and what I believe to be a very real possibility that the tale is, is 100% uh, uh, viable. Is the Houdini Museum still in business up there? Yes. Actually, was it last year, Nora, we had them on? Yeah. Oh, good. Yep, we Dick just Brooks, actually had them on. Recently. I think it was Dick Brooks was his name, who uh, was the, the and uh, Miss Miss Dietrich. Anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm doing a, a book on ghost stories, legends, and lore of uh, Nipa, and so I see a Houdini museum. I'm going there. Well, I went there for the Houdini. I left with the ghosts, and uh, the house itself it's 1430 something North Main, I believe. Mm-hmm. The building itself is was a rag beat, beat, beaten up old place. That they fixed up and created the Houdini Museum and and a show place there is very you know they put on shows there and along the, the way a fellow named Dick Brooks who organized the whole thing was told you know good luck with this place you know you're gonna do a Houdini Museum well huh, you know the place is haunted and he just went on from there good it's haunted I'm building the Houdini Museum bring it on you know and he proceeded to tell me then how he was told about a little girl's spirit. That's there, and always kind of the, like you just kind of see her off the corner of your eye. You'll see this, like you know, if there's a bug on your fly on your shoulder, you'll see it. But by the time you look at it, it's gone. And that's what this little girl was. Would just show up, kind of off to your side a little bit, just in peripheral vision, and then disappear. As I recall, I did then do the do the the, the duty research, and discover that a little girl died peaceably, wasn't murdered, wasn't anything like that but died of a rheumatic fever or something like that in that building, in that house. And uh, that at least three generations of people who've lived in that building uh, claim that they have seen her spirit. Again, nothing horrible. Right. It's not, you know, it's come, and, come and get you and kill you. It's just like a pesky, lonely little spirit. And to me, they're the best. I mean, if you can say that any kind of ghost is the best, but that those are the best stories. They are the ones that when you walk into a place like that, you keep looking over your shoulder or just out of your peripheral vision. And uh, so that place and then the Everhart uh, Museum, uh, I remember going there uh, and hearing a story about, I guess it's Mr. Everhart himself, who uh, uh, remains there and has been, has approached. Uh, I find this a little difficult to believe, but has actually a distinguished gentleman has approached uh, students and or just, uh, you know, visitors, adult visitors, and said, uh, hope you're enjoying the museum, and uh, we're very proud of it, and um, welcome. And they, they said, well, thank you very much. They, he would kind of approach them from over their shoulder, and they, the person would look over their shoulder and say, I'd say thank you to him, and he'd be gone. And when described to the f- a former curator there, or director, uh, it was Mr. Everhart, without a doubt, you know the description they got. So there's that. And uh, oh, I so always like those type of stories because they, when they describe the person, they always seem like they do not fit in. They always fit in at a different time, the way they're dressed and stuff like that. Right. A different, different era. And, uh, and unexpectedly they approach. 
and it's it wasn't one of those things where they come up screaming and hollering and oh, oh, oh I'm a ghost. No, it's it's uh, you know they just uh, appear to be just rooted there for a reason uh, that he so dearly loved that place that he remains. I, I don't know, and that's one thing I, I should. It's also part of my my creed. I don't want to know the answers to a lot of these stories. I don't want to know. I just want the story. Uh, I, I, I certainly will and do again my due diligence to uh, to try to find the, the source or the root of the, the the haunting, of course. But beyond that, I, I I will kind of skirt that as much as I can in the writing because I write as if I'm telling the story to a person, to an individual, write to them, face-to-face, one-on-one. That's what I try to write as. Uh, and I want them to look over their shoulder. When I tell ghost stories, I will, or lead a ghost tour, I will look at someone, eyeball to eyeball, and then slowly turn my head over their shoulder and wait for them to go, oh, what are you doing? You know, oh, I got you. <laughs> nothing to do with the ghost necessarily, but it has something to do with the, the root of what we as human beings are all about. Uh, imagination. And, and one thing that's really gotten to me about, and again, I'm, I'm an old fart now, uh, you know, I'm 73, I'll be 74 next week, but I I just appreciate the imagination. And I have, I have rock technology. I mean, I got more computers and crazy stuff like that. Uh, and I, right from the beginning, I know all that stuff, but I eschew it. And I, I, uh, I use it for what I can to me, I just like walking through. Uh, I'm, I'm telling ghost stories next week in a woods, in a forest. Oh, can't wait to do that. Uh, I, this is nice. This is great. I'm holding a telephone here, talking to you in Scranton or wherever you are. Yep. And hopefully people are listening to it. That's fantastic. But come with me on a tour, please, when I'm wearing my cape and my top hat, and I will look over your shoulder. Anyway, that's my it, philosophy. It definitely adds more to the entertainment value of the ghost stories, and I think that's why everyone likes ghost stories and the paranormal yeah. is entertaining. Yeah. That's, yeah and uh, I just, uh, what gets me now with the, uh, too often they're forgetting the actual, the fact that somebody died, for one thing. A ghost is rooted in a death, you know? And I respect that as well. Uh, I'm just writing a, a story now for the a uh, short story of kind of sketching it and outlining it for a talk I'm giving next week. Uh, and I got to a point where I realized I'm getting a little bit too technical here. It'll get a little bit too cold and callous here. And I'm forgetting that this was a little girl who once lived and breathed and was loved and loved sort of like a polar who was loved and loved. Um, you know, I started to realize I better come around here. I said, I better start setting that mood of the, individual who has become the ghost and is it paranormal or is it normal is death and then procession from life through death through whatever portal it is and into uh wherever you go whatever happens there's a soul split from the body there's a is there something else a spirit split from the soul we don't know we won't know until we get there and we all will you know right you don't want to lose that human connection part of it yeah. and sort of the route to actually what it was that happened. Yeah, good. Very, exactly what, what I'm talking about. And you know, sometimes with the, uh, if I may, I did a thing in Gettysburg several years ago and, you know, fellow brought his EVP and brought his recorder along 
And I did it willingly. Hell, I use, I make and use uh, divining rods. You know, so I, I, I dance on the fringe a little bit myself. But this uh, this fellow brought you know, recorder. We're doing AVP. Okay, I'll tolerate that. This will be fun. And the guys, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but he said, is there someone here? He said, did you hear that? He said, yes. I said, really? He said, as far as I'm concerned. But if you say he said, yes, good. And then um, he said, uh, did you die here in Gettysburg? Did you hear it? He said, yes. I said, oh, did he? To me, he sounded like he said, anyway, okay, I'll let you go. But then he said, um, did you die? Uh, were you a Confederate or, or a Union? He said, he's Union, okay. Uh, I'm sorry, he was Confederate. Um, okay, Confederate. And did you fight for your president or whatever? He says, he said, yeah, Lincoln. I stood back, I said, wait a second. He said he's Confederate, but he fought for Lincoln? Are you that stupid? If you don't, <laughs> if you're gonna make up this stuff, at least be intelligent about it. You know, <laughs> I just didn't believe any of that, and I made a scene of a sort, uh, exposing the whole thing, and because I was there to do that, they asked me to come there and be a part of it, and they, but this guy was gonna do a demonstration. Well, it just proved to me that either he was a fraud, or the whole EVP stuff is fraudulent, or at least put into question. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it almost seems that they're kind of trying to stretch to say, oh, I heard that or, you yeah. know, decide already before they actually hear anything, what they want to hear. And then yeah. therefore they hear it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've, I've, I'm sure I lost many, many uh, so-called fans or whatever with this attitude I have. But again, I, I just stress I'm in it for the ghost story and the, and the imagination, and, you know, I'll stick by that. Um, we actually didn't talk about yeah. any of your uh, Pocono ghost legends and lore. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. any of the stories out in the Poconos? We haven't really touched much in the Poconos in the show. Yeah, the Poconos, uh, uh, Honesdale and East Stroudsburg uh, and Stroudsburg, a lot of uh, great tales up there. Um, one in particular in uh, at Stroudsburg, East Stroudsburg University, um, involved a um, student who did die there and i documented that i got the fact that she did die there uh and her ghost haunts one of the uh, sorority houses i guess it is or just a women's dorm i think it is anyway um i heard the story uh, someone said you ought to check out this dorm because it's a story about a girl who died in a dorm back in the 1950s or something like that and so i talked to three generations of students i have a very best friend who uh went to Stroudsburg and oh yeah I heard about her when I went there in the uh, 70s and then I talked to someone who went there in the 80s and the 90s and tracked it down a little girl I mean a student was uh, on not on drugs but she was on, not on illicit drugs but many medications and she accidentally overdosed in the, uh, the dorm room and her spirit uh, they, they abandoned they locked down the dorm room I'm piecing this all together now. They locked down the dorm room for a whole semester or a year, I think, because of what had happened. And they didn't want the students finding out what a young student died there. Mm -hmm. So they they locked it down, sealed it up, closed it. Nobody could live there for a year. But they still had to go in and maintain it. You know, the uh, the janitors or the maintenance people had to go in. And many people, many of the... uh, uh, maintenance, there was two, two maintenance people and a janitor. 
who didn't even know the story, didn't know why it was locked locked up, just said that they, a couple times they would get up to the door and were going to go in there to pass key, but they heard someone inside. And they said, well, you know, we better not go in because they, apparently they didn't tell us what they're allowing people to live there again. And this happened for months and the place was not tended very well. It was empty and uh, apparently the pipe froze or something like that. But anyway, um, the, the end of the whole thing was that uh, the girl who died, Millicent or Melissa, Melissa, the girl who died apparently was seen several times walking down the hallway by future students who would not know her. She didn't know her when she was alive. They didn't know her. But they would see a, a girl walk down the hallway and nod to her like as if she was a living, breathing human being, full form, full body apparition. And she would nod back at them. And she'd turn, like when they would turn their head back, she would turn and go through that door into that room. You know, and uh, they they conversed with her. They found her name was Melissa. These later students, these uh, students, I think, what, uh, two years later or something like that, mm-hmm. who didn't know the, the story about it. Oh, that's right. And then their room had been reopened again. Uh, and students did live there, but no one named Melissa. But they would see a girl come down the hall, and she was dressed like somebody in the 80s shouldn't be dressed. She was dressed like somebody from the 60s. Yep, just like we mentioned before, just like they don't seem like they belong in that era. Yeah. That's one story there, but mainly the stories in the Poconos involved the the big old uh, hotels that were up there, and uh, every one of them had its own story. Uh, Now, there's a little something a little different there. The Poconos is a tourist-heavy area. Uh, I'm sure there's tourism in Scranton and, and Wilkes-Barre and, and Hazel and all those places, but uh, the Poconos you know, thrived on tourism. Mm-hmm. So my book uh, had to adapt to that, you know, and uh, and be a little more free with the legends and lore than the ghost stories. A little more free with the they say stories. Like, don't go into those woods because it's haunted, you know. Uh, a little, little different in Scranton than in your area uh, because people are a little more discerning. A little more um, protective of their uh, communities and their uh, reputations of their their community and their people. Poconos, we really put that out to a market of tourists mm-hmm. who wanted to hear spooky stories, you know. So, and so I don't remember a lot about them. They're all. I mean, I still did the, maintain my what I hopefully not laughingly recall as I refer to as dignity, but I, I did. I did my due diligence and did my research in the stories, but. Uh, I didn't do as much uh, hardcore ghost story investigating there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely ends up being a little bit more personal from towns like, you know, Scranton and like Wilkesbury and Hazleton, like you said, just because yeah. people tend to, to live here and stay here for a long time, whereas in the Poconos, yeah. it is very much so based in tourism right, right. and stuff okay. like that. Not to say that there aren't people that have lived there forever. Oh, sure, no. But no, even uh, even with uh, when I did New York City uh, ghost stories, I was the first person to actually do a book on New York City ghost stories, which, you know, the city hundreds of years old with millions and millions of people living and dying in it. And I'm the first guy to do this book. That was wild. 
you know, but I had a responsibility to history, to accuracy, because New Yorkers will chop you up and, you know, spit you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah they certainly will. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so when I went up there, I had to do my uh, a little extra uh, research and be a little more uh, hardcore, you know, up there. And it worked. I mean, it was kind of cool because here I am, this schlub from Reading, you know, all of a sudden I have a book up there and I get calls that it's selling out, it's selling, we need more books, blah, blah, blah. Can you do a book signing on at the Globe on Broadway? And uh, can you can you do the book New York Book Fair? Can you do go and do TV station uh, up there? And I did a show up there on uh, Haunted New York. They put me up in the Algonquin Hotel in uh, an incredible room. Had my own driver who picked me up, uh, took me down to the end of Manhattan, and uh, I and the crew had a private boat that took us to the uh, Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, or, uh, uh, Bedloe Island. Uh, or Liberty Island, I guess they call it now. And they parted the tourists so we could walk into the Statue of Liberty and shoot. I felt like, oh, I feel like Tom Cruise here. You know? <laughs> but I better damn well know what I'm talking about here, or those New Yorkers and beyond will kick my butt with credibility. Yep. So that, that was fun. So it, it's, you know, ranges from this little simple area I live in, Berks County, Pennsylvania, Dutch, to New York, you know, uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a real good ride, you know. Now, since you did mention you did a, a book on New York, and there's a couple other places out of this area that you did books on, too. Since you did yeah. so many books, is there one story that really stuck with you that you really found interesting? Yeah, there is. Uh, uh, but you know what? It, it You probably will be very disappointed when I tell you the story. Um, of all those stories, all those places... There's a place up um, between here and uh, between Reading and uh, Jim Thorpe. If you know Jim Thorpe, of course. Yep. You know where Jim Thorpe is. Um, and it's a very simple story. It was in my uh, Lehigh County book, I believe. Uh, man and woman lived uh, in a pretty little home at the end of a long lane, gravel lane, at the foot of uh, the mountains up in the, that area. And a very nice place, nice people. And he worked at uh, about an hour and no, a half hour away. And he uh, every morning would go to work. And he'd get up around uh, at precisely 6 o'clock in the morning, regular routine. And uh, he's telling me this whole story. And uh, fine. 6 o'clock, he'd leave for work. And he'd say goodbye to his wife. His wife worked at home. She had a patch, a little garden patch and sold vegetables and fruit and did other things at home. So he kissed her goodbye, six o'clock in the morning, going to work, honey. Okay, so one morning he got up and kissed her goodbye, and she was sound asleep when he went to work. At six o'clock in the morning, he left, and he came back at six o'clock at night, every night, routine. He came down the long lane toward the house, and he saw on the front porch of the house, big broad front porch, his wife waving at him and smile. Welcoming, welcome, welcoming him home. And, uh, that's, that was nice. And he looked at her though. She was wearing a nighty, a nightgown. Okay. So she, maybe she wasn't feeling well. I don't know. Pulled his truck off to the side of the house and went up the front porch. Honey, I'm home. How's your day go? Nothing. Went in the kitchen. Hey, honey, how you doing? Nothing. Now he thought, he thought, well, maybe she's wearing that nighty. She's, 
feeling a little frisky. So he uh, went to the bedroom. I said, honey, are you okay? Everything all right? I'm home. There she is laying in bed. He went over to touch her and kiss her and wake her up. She was cold. She was starting to turn blue. And she was dead. And, of course, he's horrified, grief-stricken. He called his brother, two brothers right away. One's a fire marshal, the other one's a, a fire police or whatever. So they would get things moving as far as he knew he was that she was dead. There was no hope for her. And eventually the authorities came to this house, and the coroner's assistant or whatever he was proclaimed that she had been dead for at least 14 to 16 hours. Now, simple math. He left at 6 in the morning. He returned at 6 in the evening. That's 12 hours. So the woman he kissed goodbye to that morning was dead. The woman he came back home to 12 hours later, waiting on the front porch of that house, could be nothing more than a ghost. And as he's telling me the story, he's, you know, tears are welling up in his eyes and he's drinking a cup of coffee and his hands are quivering. But he's telling me a story about not some thing that went bump in the night or not some EDP that went... Bleh. He's telling me about his deceased wife, his beloved Sharon was her name, waving at him from the great beyond, I guess. How can you explain that away? Yeah, exactly. That is that is one of the better stories we heard. Yeah, and um, and what do I say then? I mean, I could easily just kind of like hunch back and say, "Yeah, right, whatever." No, but I didn't. I almost, I, I was almost in tears myself, because this was not again an EVP. It was not a they say story. This was a very real human being telling me his very real story. And it's also not a death that happened 80 to 100 years ago that you're seeing a ghost right, yeah. now. It's something I, that was current. Right. That's a very good point. Or no, no, it wasn't a murder. It wasn't a suicide. Nothing like that. She died. Apparently, uh, I think, forget what it was, but it was a uh, something that uh, she had a condition. She, he knew she had a, a condition of some sort, uh, aneurysm, uh, aortic aneurysm. that just popped, and uh, she died from that. And the emotion Before. behind that is just so, like, raw, too, him telling you yeah. that story. Yeah, even it's all those years. I mean, this is many years ago that he told me this story. But even now, I'm sorry, I'm almost tearing up now just because I still I, I haven't been in touch with him lately, but we had kept in touch for a little bit. And uh, he said, I'll never remarry. I said, well, you'll get get over it. You'll get past it. Well, I don't know. And since I think that was maybe eight years ago and he's married about two years ago, we did remarry. Uh, so, you know, it's a but so so that to me and I. You know, if listeners are thinking, that's it, that's all you got, well, that's too bad, because that's all I got. Yeah, that, that, you know, that I would say that was a good one, too. That would stick with me also. Yeah, yeah. So, so there you go. <laughs> if any of our listeners are interested in picking up one of your books, where was the best place for them to find them? You can't no more, basically. Uh, actually, uh, you can still find them, I guess, on Amazon so, or whatever that is. I We went out of print. Every we let, Most of the many of the books go out of print. But uh, last year we sold every all the books, what was left, and there were thousands, to a place called Firefly Books in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. 
uh, and you can order from them online. I used to go out and, you know, after my ghost talks, I'd go out there and sign books. It's all fun and, and stuff, but, uh, I had a business partner. He and I would do a dog and pony show. I'd tell my stories and he'd sell books and, uh, and we were, well, when I started this whole thing, we had here in Reading at least six big bookstores. We got one. Mm-hmm. And then same, same way up there, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and so unless you sell your soul to Amazon, uh, you're screwed, you know, in the publishing business these days. And I decided not to sell my soul to Amazon, sold it to an independent bookstore, Firefly in Kutztown. And, uh, like I say, you can order through them. And I have a book signing up there next week, which I'm really happy about because it's, again, a very grassroots independent bookstore in a college town, Kutztown University. And so that's that. Okay. I'd like to thank us for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. This is a really quite an honor. I, I uh, made me hungry to go up to uh, the, uh, the hot dog Abe's. Yep, there's Abe's <laughs> in Wilkesbury. Yep, still up there. Yep, yes, still sir. Uh, I'll I'll be there in a couple of weeks. Maybe, <laughs> maybe tomorrow. You made me hungry for one of their hot dogs. <laughs> okay. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Sleep tight, Sleep tight tonight, everybody. You thank also. You. Before we leave you tonight, we actually have some sad news tonight. Nor, our co-host, will be leaving WNEP. Nor, thank you for helping us out with this podcast in the past two years. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I mean, honestly, I know we've said it a couple of times, but, you know, we didn't really know where this podcast was going to go. So um, it's been really cool to see how it has grown over the past two years. And um, I'm really excited to see where you continue to take it um, once I leave. So, the podcast itself isn't going anywhere, but I will no longer be on the show. So thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And thank you for helping us out for the past two years. Like I said in the beginning, I thought we'd only be doing this for about three or four, maybe five episodes. And here we are two years into it. Yeah, it's really it's really grown and it's really shown that, you know, Northeastern and Central Pennsylvania have a lot of stories and a lot of history. And it's been really cool to uncover that over the last two years. I've really enjoyed it. Well, since this is your last episode, Nora, you could have the honors of doing the tag out. <laughs> I can't do it as good as you do. <laughs> Go ahead. Give it a shot. <laughs> Until next time, enjoy the creepy side of NEPA. This has been the creepy side of NEPA. If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or central Pennsylvania, send it to ghost at WNEP.com. For your chance to share it on an upcoming episode, we're dying to hear from you. <laughs>